welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, welcome back to this episode of Clean Tech Talk. This is the second in a series of podcasts that we're doing with Volvo Construction Equipment. Today we have Dr. Ray Gallant. He's the Vice President of Sustainability and Productivity Services at Volvo Construction North America. And Ray, you've been in this business in this industry a long time. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself so that as we get into talking about this equipment, people know where you're coming from. So, yeah, I've been with... uh in the industry basically for 30 plus years with Volvo since 1994, Volvo companies since 1994. So I've got a fairly broad history in this. Most of my career has been in product development and product planning. So that's kind of where I focus most of the time. But in the last few years, it's it's transferred over a little bit. And my latest assignment is sustainability and productivity services which are basically how do we usher in these new technologies and new products that are sustainable? How do we usher them into the industry and make our customers comfortable with them, able to take advantage of them, able to run their sites efficiently and productivity with these new technologies? Well, that's great stuff. And having that kind of depth of experience in this industry means that you've kind of seen it all. And as we talk about the evolution of deep from diesel powered vehicles, to electric vehicles, like we've already seen in the world of buses, public transportation, obviously electric school buses. This has been happening for many, many years now all around the world. And now it's coming to off-road equipment and heavy equipment. Talk to us a little bit about how that evolution is taking place. Is it mirroring the automotive? Is it mirroring more the buses and transportation? Or is it kind of its own animal because of the needs of heavy equipment and off-road equipment? So, so both, I think if you look at certain applications, it's mirroring very closely the automotive experience. So where you can do a battery electric machine or application, considerations are very, very closely tied to what the automotive went through and, you know, what their, their evolution, even in terms of market acceptance and market growth. If you look at other applications, we have some unique situations in our case, like running a remote job site where no power is available that we have to deal with and a lot of different technologies that are going to come into play that aren't necessarily in play in the straight automotive. So if you look at the evolution and the difficulty, I would say, of electrifying all the applications, automotive is probably the easiest because it's a uh, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but it's a, sure. basically a single application where they had to develop and perfect the technology. And it's come a long way so that electric cars now have some some unique benefits that customers are appreciating. You get into trucking, it becomes a little bit more difficult. There's a wider spread of duty applications, which means we need to employ different technologies in different ways and develop new technologies that can make that possible. You get into equipment, we're dealing more with the heavy end of the power spectrum, similar to heavy duty trucking, class eight trucking, but we also have 
machines that run very similar in power spectrum to cars. So we have a bit of coverage of everything and all the technologies, which is why I think it's very exciting. I mean, it, it sounds incredibly challenging and you use the word different. And I, I want to kind of focus in and, and really zoom in on that word different, right? Because this is a different technology to diesel. There's going to be a lot of advantages in terms of emission, in terms of noise, in terms of vibrations, but it's going to present different challenges as well. And it's important to note that these are not only challenges. They're not only downside. There are also challenges to diesel. There are challenges to hydrogen. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of those different challenges are? What are some of the different ways that electric and diesel have to be planned for on a job site? Yeah, certainly. The If you look at the technology itself, like I said in the earlier podcast, you know, electrics have been around for a long time. We know how to build and run and install electric motors. We know how batteries work. We know how switches work. We can control the electricity very precisely. So all that technology exists. We're now at a point of trying to perfect it and, and develop it in our application, in our use case, where it's going to make sense. So to get the quality, the longevity, the performance we need out of those components. But the basic theory behind it is pretty sound, is pretty well understood. What's new is how do you get high power charging systems and get over those limitations that machines in particular and truck, heavy trucks in particular need to do the same duty cycles as you would with diesel. So that's really where our focus is. If you look at it, the, you know, like I said, the technology is actually simpler, in my opinion, than the diesel technology has become. So it, you know, on a machine, it's a much simpler, conceptually, a much simpler machine than a diesel counterpart would be. The challenge comes into how do you get the infrastructure in place to charge it? And how do you adjust people's habits and the way they work to take advantage of these new new systems and new ways of working? So for instance, we're used to bringing in a fuel truck basically once a day at the end of the shift, refueling all your machines within half an hour, 40 minutes, and then everything's ready to go the next morning. Electrics is not necessarily going to work that way. So instead of bringing a fuel truck in once a day or a fuel time once a day, you might have machines continually rotating through the chargers. You know, if you have five machines on site, there may be always one plugged into the charger, the other four working, and you just do that rotation 24 hours a day. So it's a different mentality to set that kind of process up in your operation than it would be than we're used to diesel. Well, you said it just right. It's a different mentality. And you said it's what we're used to with diesel. And I think it's really critical to understand for a lot of people that have been in this industry for 10, 15, 20 plus years. It's not like diesel is not without challenges. Somebody had to figure out how to engineer a fuel truck. Somebody had to figure yep. out how to create a mobile pumping system. Someone had to figure all this out. And just because it was already figured out 
when you got there, that doesn't mean that it was never a problem. And I think a lot of the challenges that we're talking about now, a lot of the things that we're trying to put into place to figure out how to do this with electric and keep the business running, keep moving the dirt, keep getting the rocks out of the way and all that is going to be a matter of figuring it out. So by the time my kids grow up and either they go to college or go into the trades or whatever, if they end up operating heavy equipment 20 years from now, that's all going to be sorted by then. Yeah. And it, I think we got to, we get tend to get impatient. We tend to look at a new technology. It's got to be now, now, say, now. Exactly. Yeah. It's got to work better than the old one. And we forget that the old, the diesel infrastructure and diesel systems you know, we have a hundred years of evolution and continuous improvement to get to the point where we are. That's today. right. That's right. So, you know, if we manage to duplicate that, like the car industry has done, if we manage to duplicate that kind of performance in the 10, 15 year cycle or time span, that's actually pretty phenomenal when you think about it. Oh, it is. And that's it is kind of the, the challenge is we need to not only move the technology forward we need to move the habits and the expectations of people forward at a very very fast pace compared to the traditional diesel system which like i said took 100 years to get to the point where we are today that's exactly right and i my one of my favorite old pictures i i had a a, a dear friend of mine that you know is no longer with us he used to collect old john deere tractors he had like 1911 mm -hmm. and 1910s and he would take them to county fairs and everything and he has a picture of them building the john deere factory and they're building it with donkeys and horses and wheel plows so like it's been a long time yep. <laughs> so it, yep. and it will get there you know and to your point diesel had 100 years to get to the point that it is now when we talk about electric cars i always think of the toyota prius being the first one that was really right. a consumer grade electrified vehicle that was 1998 so that was 25 years ago right so yep. we've had 25 years to evolve electric cars it seems and it does seem like electric equipment is moving much 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 faster so we've already talked a little bit about some specific cars some specific tractors can you tell us a little bit about some of the equipment some of the machines that you have already electrified at volvo so we started a, as we talked about the different technologies come into play in different size ranges so the easiest starting point that we felt for our range of equipment was the compact equipment and the reason for that is you can use a fairly low voltage battery pack a 48 volt pack and you can get enough battery size in there without throwing the weight or the volume in your equipment, the, the envelope way out of whack. So it's fairly easy to do a battery electric compact piece of equipment. As you move up, we need to go to a higher battery voltage, larger batteries, obviously, to get the energy we need. But you will eventually get to the point where we need to look at other technologies. So, so our talk about strategy was to start with battery electric and then move on to these other technologies. But I can tell you that all those technologies are being looked at in the background and being researched by us and by a number of other companies, including different alternate fuels and renewable diesels and things like that, which are part of the equation. So there is no one answer. There is no silver bullet. 
we need to be looking at all these different solutions, applying them where they make sense and moving the entire industry forward a step at a time. One of the really nice evolutions I've seen even over the last couple of years is more and more companies, when they look at their decarbonization plans, are looking at all these different steps. So they're no longer looking at just a machine and saying, can I go to zero emission or just a truck or whatever? They're looking at their fleet and saying, okay, I can get my emission down 15% by going to alternate fuels or going to a biodiesel blend or something like that. And then if I electrify these 15 machines or 15 trucks or my pickup trucks or whatever, I can get another 20% of my carbon out and looking at all those steps in a sequence and in a very planned controlled way. And that's a nice evolution from where we were even a few years ago where everybody was just saying, okay, can we get from pure diesel to zero emission in an individual piece of equipment or truck or car or whatever. Now they're looking at the site and saying, okay, how much energy am I using over the entire site? How much carbon am I producing? And can I bring both of those down? Because of course, as you bring energy down, you bring carbon waste down along with it. And that is the equation that we got to be focused on. It's not just replacing one individual machine. It's how do we get the entire site to be more productive, more efficient, friendlier to the environment. That's where the real gains are. You know, I, I keep telling people in presentations, we can spend literally millions of dollars getting a machine or a machine engine system to be one or 2% more efficient. We can look at a site and spend a lot less money and get five, 10, 15% more efficient just by figuring out more efficient ways to work on a site and more coordination between machines and between operations. Well, and, and that's a really great point. And, and you know, to use the, uh, the buzzword, it's a much more holistic way of looking at things and it seems to be much more effective. You know, and and I had intended to kind of steer the conversation towards the skid steers and the wheel loaders and the telehandlers and, you know, the little mini excavators and things like that. But it's worth pointing out here, I think, that you are a part of the Volvo group, which also includes heavy trucks, which also includes some marine applications and things like that. And looking mm -hmm. at this from a site perspective, how can we make it more efficient to get these vehicles from A to B, to get them on site, to remove them from site? Logistically, how can we look at this entire project, not only the site, but getting equipment from the depot to the site? I think that's a really, really sharp observation. And to your point, I think that's gonna generate a much better result than just saying, okay, you know, and I know you already said this, but I want to echo the point. Instead of spending a quarter of a million dollars on one electric machine, let's spend $50,000 to really understand the logistics and the overall footprint and try to bring that down 15, 20%. I think that's a fantastic point. Can you speak to that a little bit more? You know, because there's different industries, right? That use heavy equipment. There's utilities, there's landscaping, farms, there's construction, which is I think what most people are familiar with is just, you know, smashing down a building, putting up a new one. How are some of these different industries taking these machines on and putting them to use in a way that is equal or superior to diesel? So one of the, I mean, one of the 
unspoken things that you know always comes up in these podcasts is this technology is obviously more expensive and the tendency and here's one differences we were talking earlier about differences between the automotive and ours our application one of the differences is that our machines you're buying them to do a job you're buying them to work that's right so you you aren't buying a machine because you need a machine an excavator for instance you aren't buying an excavator because you want an excavator you're buying an excavator to get a hole dug right you're not so driving many this thing to walmart dugs. right 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 <laughs> so unlike cars we have to think of it and we i say the industry has to picture it in that in that frame of reference so we know these machines are more expensive but over the life of them we also know that the maintenance is less the operating cost is less you're running on electricity instead of diesel so your energy cost if you will is far less so that's the equation that we've got to have to make sense to the customer that will drive this forward that will make this make sense if you look at a car mentality you know if i buy a very nice luxury car my tendency is i don't want to drive i don't want to put a lot of miles on it i want to keep it in the garage under a tarp you know keep it well protected keep it looking perfect we need to switch that exact opposite mentality with electric machines you make your money with an electric machine not off the purchase price obviously because that's a lot higher but off using it so we've got to drive the industry that these are machines that you want to put a lot of hours on because that's how you're going to get your return. That also has a lot of implications for the resale, the residuals, the trade-ins, the used equipment market, all those things, which is going to change the industry. So we talked earlier about you know, batteries having a lot of value, even though they may not be perfect for machine use, they still have a lot of value in another market. We need to start taking those considerations into account and working with our, our partners, our contractors, our customers to figure out that equation. So when does it make sense to trade these machines out? How many hours can you get on it? How can you get your, your return by getting a lot of hours of use and a lot of work out of the machine, which is why you bought it, rather than looking at it as a very, very expensive asset that you don't want to depreciate or you don't want to have scratches on it. No, yeah, it's you a don't machine. Want to have it's it made to books. go to work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. If you enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute a hundred dollars a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. Now, we talk a lot about this when we do talk about electric. We talk about you know, the applications where it can replace diesel, but there's also new applications. There's new jobs that are open to electric that are not open to diesel. And you know, the, the easy low-hanging fruit is to talk about no drip or zero drip sites, but there's others as well. There's you know, here in Chicago, where I am in Oak Park, they have new noise ordinances coming into play where you can only work, you know, you can only make noise between 10 a.m. and like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. But mm -hmm. with an electric job site that is so much quieter and operates with with so much less disturbance to the area around it, 
you can probably pack in two, four, six, eight, maybe another 12 hour shift and run these things 24 hours if you can solve for the grid problem. What other kinds of applications are coming into focus now that you have some of these different, again, to use the word different, different capabilities with electric than you did with diesel? So we talked a little bit about the different noise cases and and stuff like that, where that comes into play. Obviously, emissions and pollution, you know, oil drips, oil sensitivity. If you're working around food, for instance, you have to be very careful with fumes and liquid. Oh, yeah, I uh, hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah if you're um, working at a vineyard or something, they don't want any kind of... Uh, right, you don't uh, want to spray oil any... on the grapes. Yeah, you know, exactly. Have a mishap. Yeah, so those types of applications are the obvious ones that come to mind and the, the ones that we can pick out. Now, we're getting surprised with a lot of applications. The customers are coming to us and saying, okay, I want to use it in this application. Like Toronto Zoo, we mentioned earlier, was one of those applications. Another one is grave diggers. You know, not to be morbid, but... Oh, well, we're they, all, I mean, it's going to happen to all of us, so we might right. as well come to terms with it. They go out very, very early in the morning and basically have to dig the graves during for the day because they don't want to be out there making noise and digging a hole when there's a service trying to go on a hundred yards away or nearby. So with conventional equipment, they had to go out and start digging these graves sometimes at three or four in the morning to have them all ready to go when the services have to commence. Well, with electric equipment, you have a little bit more flexibility. You can't obviously operate next door to where a service is going on, but if you're a 100 yards away, 200 yards away, you can dig another gravesite and not disturb the people that are having the service. So that's not something we would have ever designed for, but it is an application that customers came and talked to us about and said, okay, will this work in this application? The other area that electrics open up, and I talked a little bit about this, is with the integration of these technologies, you can control an electric machine very, very precisely in comparison to a hydraulic or diesel power generation. Electrics, you can control very, very precisely in terms of power, RPM, positioning, all those aspects open up to us. So not only can you do a job that a diesel couldn't do in terms of precision and, and positioning, you can do it faster and easier and better. So where we had to have, you know, it's a very skilled operator that can dig a, a trench for a hundred yards at a time, perfectly straight and at a two degree angle, that takes a lot of skill and a lot of practice to be able to do that by eye. With the systems today, we can do that automatically and help the operator and even automate it to the point where the machine will do it the operator doesn't even have to get involved. So all yeah. those things add to the productivity, add to the efficiency, add to the reason to go into the electrical technologies. Now, it's not electrical power only that comes into play there. It's also telematics and automation systems. And that's why we talk about these three technologies being the driving technologies for this revolution and transformation. 
Yeah, I think that's great stuff. You know, we talk a little bit about telematics and I want to bring that up because telematics are incredibly important. This is the vehicle communicating with the operator. It's the vehicle communicating with the fleet. And it's also the vehicle communicating with the manufacturer on your end. If you're starting to see certain patterns, certain operations, mm-hmm. certain where you can build the future ones better. You can send out a part or, or recall to, to improve the fleet, you know, from the point of view of a fleet operator of a fleet manager, that's maybe got a hundred assets or 200 assets out in the field, you know, how are the Volvo telematics working for them? And do they integrate with other Volvo group vehicles? In other words, is it manufacturer agnostic? Can you kind of look at all these things across the path? Because a lot of fleet operators do operate a mixed fleet. And sometimes it becomes difficult to, when one set of equipment has one set of telematics, another one has a different set, it's difficult to coordinate maintenance and things like that. But it seems like the Volvo group has this really nailed down where you can have the Volvo truck, you can have the Volvo skid steer and, and you know, the excavators and things like that. And all of that stuff, whether it's electric, diesel, bio or hydrogen, all of that stuff really talks to each other quite nicely. Yeah. Yes. And you bring up a couple of points there. So, First of all, we're, again, the evolution of it is we started with individual machines, monitoring what the machine is doing, gathering data from the machine. Then you go out to other Volvo machines on a site, for instance. Can they talk to each other? Can we monitor the same things on multiple points, multiple machines? Then you expand that to other machine manufacturers, which information can we get from their systems and which how can we integrate that in and finally you integrate it to other processes altogether so if you're doing a paving job for instance we might have four or five machines on the paving crew but there's also a whole set of machines being trucks that are taking asphalt from the plant to the paving site and there's an asphalt plant running so if we can eventually get to integrate all those systems together we can very precisely start to control those operations and make them a lot more efficient rather than having 15 asphalt trucks waiting in the queue we can start getting it down to two or three so you never want to be at the point where you're just in time on an operation like that but we don't need 15 in advance either so that's the kind of scaling that we can do with these new technologies the other point about new technologies that's interesting is the sensor technology has advanced to such a point where we can gather literally millions of data points a minute if we want, and we can store them and we can look at them and everything else. The problem becomes who's going to analyze it. How can you pick out the trends? How can you do something with those volumes and volumes of data? So what we're looking at is a lot of integration of AI into that mix to say okay we have these millions of data points how can we use that how can we use that to spot the trends how can we use it to talk to each other how can we make decisions on it in an automated way in real time that can help the operators and the fleet managers run a better site well and from the product development side it's also got to help you too because you're starting to see million over the course of millions and millions of operations and millions of millions of, you know, data points and data sets, 
you're going to start to have the ability to do some generative stuff as well, where you can design parts and components that react to what you're seeing in the field and ultimately reduce maintenance costs, reduce repair costs, and add to that long-term profitability of the vehicle. Absolutely. The, the maintenance intervals today are based on, of course, historical averages. So sure. we say you need to change the oil at a certain interval, not because the, there's any problem in your, the oil in your machine, but because on average, you know, if you look at millions of machines, you'll start running into problems at this level, whether it be 5,000 right. hours, 10,000 hours, whatever. If we can take that and rather than do it on an average overall basis, why not look at your machine and monitor the oil and say, okay, you're running a very light duty cycle. You can run 10,000 hours and the oil will still be perfectly fine. You know, that's the type of advancements that we can make. We can look at vibration analysis. You know, when components start to fail, you usually have indicators, either heat or vibration, that something's wrong in that component that is starting to fail. We can monitor that. We can look right, at and you it. You can make say, the repair before it breaks on a job site. Right, rather than have a ca site. catastrophic failure that takes your machine down, we can go to the contractor and say, look, we're seeing a vibration in here. It's been increasing for the last month. Chances are your bearing is starting to fail in that component. Take it out of service or we'll take it out of service for you know, an evening and change the bearing rather than have the whole thing down and take your machine down for an extended period of time. So that kind of prognostic repair is a, a possibility with this type of technology. Now, having said that, that all sounds good, but that is a challenging, massive undertaking to get these systems in place and get them deployed across the industry. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, we've come so far since in the seventies and eighties when they had actuarial tables and guys sitting there with, you know, pencils and pen or trying to figure all this out. So it, it's really exciting, you know, and I, I, I could stay on this telematics topic and, and this, this concept of uh, using generative AI to prognosticate and predict maintenance stuff all day. But I, I do want to move on to this. You know, we've talked a little bit in from a couple of different ways. We've discussed how to meet the challenges of infrastructure, how to meet the challenges of getting electrical energy from the production site to the job site. Is that something that somebody can come to you guys, whether it's a municipality or a fleet and say, hey, we don't want to deal with this. We just want to buy it from you. Can you make that happen? Yes, we can. And more and more companies are are jumping into this as well. So not only do we want to make electric equipment, we've got to be able to advise you on how you refuel it and how you keep keep it going. An electrical piece of equipment that worked for a day and then you can't recharge wouldn't be much good to anybody. Yeah, so we need no to figure that out. We need to offer it. Right now, we're doing primarily through, through uh, partners, if you will. And that part of the reason for doing that is because these technologies are evolving and changing very quickly. So we're engaging partners who are immersed in the business who are knowledgeable in the business and counting on them to keep us up with the latest and greatest technology as it evolves rather than try to develop all that and keep up ourselves it's much more efficient to to partner and make sure that we're always with a state-of-the-art 
in that right in that area. As I, I mentioned say, earlier, there's the three types of charging systems that we're looking at. How do you plug into the grid and make use of it? How do you take the power out to the machine and recharge? And also, how do you generate on site? And the management of those three systems and making an economically viable equation you know, again, if you invest $100,000 in a charging system, you don't want to use it for 30 minutes a day. That's right. <laughs> so you want to have you know, multiple machines that charge on it. You want to get as much use out of it as you can. You want to have one charger for many machines, not one charger for one machine. Right. You know, and, and we talk about some of the partners, you know, we had an outline that we talked about before recording this. And some of the partners that you have are also people that, that we know very well you know, guys like FreeWire that are bringing the battery, uh, the BES on site. Yep. There's, uh, you know, people like Wave that are working at the Port of Long Beach and, and Port of Houston, putting the in-ground charging on some of this equipment that's running at the drainage sites. Those guys are all out there, you know, uh, up in Canada in the extreme cold. You've got guys like Jewel that are building stuff like that out. There's mm -hmm. a tremendous wealth of knowledge out there, not only within volvo group but also within the partners that you're already working with as a fleet manager as a fleet owner or operator how am i going to get access to this because i can't imagine that everybody who goes out shopping for electric equipment is going to have access to you know dr ray galant is is this something that they're getting through the dealers are the dealers the equipment dealers out there being trained on this to be able to provide solutions or is this really a case of corporate is going to work with these larger fleets and try to help them figure this out so so both there's a massive effort and podcasts like like the one we're doing right now are part of that education awareness push that volvo and a lot of other companies are doing in this space so you know the first step to gaining knowledge is you have to know what questions to ask so I mean, and that's, that's so still, true <laughs> that's still at the stage that we're at with a yeah, lot of we're these, trying to figure out the people. right questions. Yeah. yeah. Now to the second part of that, we can help and we are putting in programs to help not only educate your fleet, but to actually help implement some of these systems into your fleet. So if contractors come to us and say, I've got this type of operation, this type of machines will go in, we'll assess their fleet kind of, set a baseline and say, okay, with this fleet, you're burning this many gallons of diesel producing this much CO2 and nitrous oxides and all these other greenhouse gases that we can monitor. Here's your cost base. Here's your electrical costs, all these things. We take it into one of our tools and simulate what would happen if we change to electric in this part of the operation right. or the whole operation, depending on how far you want to go. And with those tools, no simulations, you can get a very accurate picture before you spend a dollar. You can get a very accurate picture of how much difference is it really going to make and is it practical. Right. And now there are a number of reasons why a fleet owner would switch to electric. Sometimes it's because they want to, uh, you know, explore the new technology, figure out how it's going to fit into their fleet. They're trying to do a specific job that electric is more suited to, but then there's also a question of incentives and government mandates and things like that. How are dealers and how is Volvo corporate 
working with these fleets to make sure that they get all of the incentives that they have coming to them to make it easier to electrify? So we have um, this is a very complicated landscape or in terms of incentives, because every state has its own scheme. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it comes programs. down to the village level. Right. Fed, municipalities have their own. Federal has its own. And they're all slightly different with different criteria and stuff like that. So what we've done is we built a tool right now. We only have it rolled out to our dealers, but we have a tool where we can try to sort those different programs. And we've done this in cooperation with government agencies and consultants to make sure that we're getting a view of everything that's out there. But you can actually go in to your state, to your municipality if you want, and figure out which programs might be applicable that you could apply for. We aren't at the point yet where, and of course, because of the program setup, we can't apply for most of these ourselves. The customers have to do that, but at least we can point them in the right direction and say, this may, might be available for either your charging infrastructure or your machine purchases or whatever. And here's the incentives that we see coming up as well. You know, so if we know there's a program launching in Colorado, for instance, in October, then we can point the customer in that direction and say, okay, have you looked at this program? And that is, again, one of the services that we can provide to the customers. So it's much more than just the transaction of putting a machine on the site. We're now evolving to the transaction of being a partner in running your site more efficiently, more effectively, more productively. Right. And, well, and that partnership thing is key because I can't tell you over the years that I've been in and around different industries, you know, whenever you buy something, whether it's a, you know, services, a software platform, whether it's a machine, you get all the attention in the world from the sales rep. And then half the time, it seems like as soon as your check clears, that guy is gone and you got to like hunt him down to get any kind of answers out of him. So to hear this partnership going, not only from, the corporate level to the dealer, but then from the dealer to the, the fleet operator and into the actual machine operator is, is really cool. So I, I, I love hearing all this stuff. Now, you and I met, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, you and I first met at the ACT Expo, which is the uh, Advanced Clean Transportation. I always call it Advanced Clean Trucking. I know that's quite that's wrong, but uh, Advanced Clean Transport Show in Long Beach. There was also Con Expo and Con Ag in Las Vegas, where you guys had some of these electrified machines and, and alt fuel machines. Where can fleet buyers go to experience some of these machines and get a sense of how they will work and fit into their lives and into their fleets, you know, today or tomorrow? So, all our dealers, we have commercialized. You know, we mentioned earlier, there's six models of compact equipment commercialized, and there's the mid-size 23-ton excavator. They are all commercial pieces, so our dealers have access to them. Our dealers have them in stock. Uh, you can go out and try them at a dealership. Now you're starting to be able to rent them. The rental industry is starting to come on, on board and have these rental pieces available as well. But to go the next step, you know, as I was saying, if you're looking at entire fleet conversions or, or fleet management, my advice would be to talk to your suppliers and get into that discussion of, okay, what's a more efficient way or what tools can your supplier bring to you 
to help you run that fleet more efficiently because a lot of these tools, the telematics, for instance, didn't exist 10 years ago. Right. You know, right. so now we've got continually new tools coming out, new features that we can bring to bear. So this isn't a matter of a one-time transaction like you were alluding to where you, you know, buy a machine, get the check, and then you go your merry way. And, you know, if it works perfect, you never hear from the OEM again. Now we're looking at, okay, how can we take this and form a long-term partnership and continually improve his site? So next year, it makes sense to put five electric machines in. The year after, it might make sense to put five hydrogen machines in. So right. how do we prepare that that evolution on your site? And that's unfortunately a very customized site by site analysis that we have to do. Sure. Or you mentioned, well, you know, well, fortunately and unfortunately, right? It's there's opportunities yeah. and uh, challenges everywhere. There's huge huge opportunities, but it's a lot of work. A lot of uh, ah, you're a tough guy. You could do the work. You'd be fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned. It's such a good point because we do focus so much on electric and on battery electric because that's what is commercialized today. But Volvo also has a fuel cell articulated hauler that's coming out in the next couple of years. It's the world's first. There's the uh, the LX03 that I love looking at because it just looks super science fiction-y. That's an autonomous wheel loader that we kind of alluded to as well. And we've seen both of these vehicles at work at some of these world rally claw world rally cross championship tracks where they build out these these uh you know sort of temporary off-road on-road tracks for these highly advanced electric race cars to tool around on when mm -hmm. do you think we're going to start to see commercial applications commercialized versions of like these fuel cell haulers and the uh, lx03 especially well i you know obviously i can't sit here and give you a month and year when all these new models are going to come out but projecting forward as Tora I mentioned, want answers Ray <laughs> as Tora mentioned uh, our goal is to you know be fossil free by 2040 and we want to have 35% and these are public statements we want to have 35% of our machines be electrically driven or sustainably driven by 2030 so if you take that forward we have 235 models roughly in our lineup today if we want 35 percent of them to be electric in the next seven years you have to have a pretty rapid ramp up of models becoming available with these different technologies going forward if you're going to hit that 2030 and 2040 goal right so so let's I, call it sooner than later there's a lot of models coming in the very near future there's a lot of things being worked on lx03 the hydrogen fuel cell hauler, uh, what we call electric Charlie, they are, you know, they are, that's behind the curtain, but there's a lot of development work going on in a lot of different areas. And you're going to see it not only from us, from many different companies pushing this and, and creating this transformation or enabling this transformation to go forward. That's great. And then you have a, a demonstration site out there in PA, is that correct? Yes, we run a demonstration site here uh, in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. We have a number of acres that's our sandbox for big boys uh, to go out and play <laughs> with the machines and try it and dig a hole or push some dirt and see what the machines can do. And then we have both electric and diesel out there. So it's a good chance to for contractors to actually 
sit in them side by side, doing the same application and see what the difference is. Well, that's great. You know, and then I think we've alluded to this a few times. We've talked about kind of where the future is going, especially in terms of the 2040 and 2050 goals and the Paris Agreement. But I do want to ask, you know, having had so much of an insight and so much of a look behind the curtain, so to speak, of the trends in the industry and what people are actually doing with these machines and kind of where the technology is headed, where do you think we're going to be in, you know, not as far out as 20. 40, but like, let's say, you know, in the next five years, the next 10 years, by 2030, what are some of these machines going to look like? So I think we, we can fairly easily predict what the machines will look like. Like we, we know now we're getting a pretty good handle on which ones were hydrogen makes sense, which ones were alternate fuels make most sense, which ones were battery electric makes the most sense, where we have grid kinetic connected applications that make the most sense where hybrids make the most sense. So all these different solutions, I think you're going to see in the next five to seven years from a number of different companies. What is harder to predict is the rate that the industry will move over to this. And that's for a few reasons. One availability, you know, we all know about the, the, battery shortages, the battery, the difficulty in getting enough batteries to power all these new new machines, new models, new cars, new trucks, you know, that that's a constant struggle. And we, as well as many other companies, are starting to build facilities to build more of this capacity. But that's one of the unknowns at this point. How quickly can that capacity come online? Do we have the raw material feed to feed that industrial base as it comes online and the other big unknown is how quickly will the industry convert how successfully will the government incentive programs and the industry be willing to move over to this new technology well i think uh you know that that time will tell for all of that but it seems to me like volvo's in a really great place for that so thank you so much for being a part of the show ray Again, this is uh, part of a series of podcasts for Volvo CE, so be sure to look out for the next episodes. And if you haven't heard it, go back to the first episode. You'll find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the places where you already enjoy clean tech talk. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.